crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctegal. I'm here in Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you very much for joining me today. Today we're going to be talking about this really amazing relationship that is being struck up once again. Uh, it is a rare relationship. It is a trifecta of nations that come together at different times throughout history. And when they do, something remarkable is taking place. I'm talking about the relationship between Israel, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Of course, Israel as the modern state has not been around for the greatest amount of time, uh, just over 70 years now. But Israel's history and the history of the Jews goes back so much further than that, so much further, obviously, back to biblical times. And also the people that make up the United States and Britain, although it's not mo known by most people, goes back to biblical times as well. And really, when we have these, uh, as history bears out, when we have these nations coming together something remarkable is taking place. And I just want to talk about some recent news that shows that there's a convergence of interest between these three nations and that their brotherly bonds are being uh, resuscitated right now uh, to, a, to an amazing degree. The first story I want to cover that relates to this is what's going on in the Persian Gulf. Of course, I've been talking about this for a number of weeks, uh, relating to what Iran is trying to do, jeopardize trade, jeopardize the oil tankers coming through the Persian Gulf, through the Strait of Hormuz as they get towards the market. And of course, you had the United States being, is the main guarantor of the, the or the protector of this international shipping through this waterway. But since the, the United Kingdom decided, going back a month now, to impound the Grace One, which is an Iranian vessel that was en route to deliver oil to Syria, uh, which was against European Union sanctions, uh, that it, they impounded that vessel. Since that time, you've had the United Kingdom make themselves a target for the Iranians. And so we have had the Iranians take British vessels now and still holding them captive uh, inside the Persian Gulf. And you had Britain's call come out for a European-led force, a European-led naval mission to the Persian Gulf to try and counteract this naval piracy done by the Iranians. And yet you haven't found anyone really jumping in, really buying in. The Germans don't really want to do it. The French, even though they have a lot of interest in doing it, don't really want to do it. And so you had the British that eventually said, okay, we're just going to partner with the United States. We're going to partner with the United States that already has a mission there in the Persian Gulf to protect uh, its uh, or international travel through, through this area. And so you had, this is going back at the beginning of last week, you had Britain coming together, you had the United States coming together, but that's not it. You also have Israel, Israel being a part of this multinational group that is working together to protect and safeguard naval transit through the Persian Gulf. This is, in a way, in a way, quite shocking uh, that Israel is actually joining this group. Of course, Israel is not going to send naval vessels to the region, and their help is probably limited. But at the same time, 
it is very uh, significant and interesting that the three nations that are working together right now in the Persian Gulf to counter Iran are the United States, Britain, and Israel. And it's these three nations I want to talk about together in the relationship they have right now, the resurgence in this relationship, and mainly fake focusing on the relationship between Britain and Israel, because historically, Great Britain has not been a friend of Israel, the modern state of Israel. Of course, Belfer is, is the Belfer Declaration of 1917. We'll talk about that as well. But that is that is a rarity when you have the situation where Britain does favor Israel and favors Israel internationally. And so we're going to focus mainly on that, and we'll get towards looking at the new cabinet of um, Boris Johnson, the new prime minister of Britain, and show how it's full of Israel files, people that love Israel. This is rare. This doesn't happen. Historically, this does not happen unless something amazing, something out of the ordinary, and I would say something miraculous is taking place. But first of all, let's get to this article. This is from Times of Israel, written earlier this week, talking about Israel's involvement in this U.S.-led naval mission in the Strait of Hormuz. And this is what uh, Times of Israel wrote August 6th. Foreign Minister Israel Katz said Tuesday that Israel was involved in a U.S.-led naval mission to provide maritime security in the Strait of Hormuz, where Iran recently seized merchant ships. Speaking at a close session of the Knesset Foreign Relations or Foreign Affairs, sorry, and Defense Committee, Katz said Israel was assisting the mission with intelligence and other unspecified fields, the Ynet News reported. He said the mission was in Israel's strategic interest of countering Iran and boost ties with Gulf uh, countries. According to that Israel news site, uh, Katz told the committee that he instructed his ministry to work to include Israel uh, in the mission and a recent visit to Abu Dhabi and so on. Then it all, he also says this, Katz also praised Britain's announcement Monday it would join them, that it would join the mission, making it the only country so far to do so. Can you really understand? <laughs> this is amazing. You've got the United States, Britain, Israel working together. And there is the Australia is actually saying that it is seriously considering uh, joining it as well. And what all the what do all these nations have in common? Australia, the United States, Israel, Britain, Great Britain. Well, they've got a biblical history together. They are biblical nations. They are part of the nations of ancient Israel, or part of the tribes of ancient Israel. And if you haven't proven that yet, I really do encourage you to request our book. It's by uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, written by Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. It's entitled The United States and Britain and Prophecy, and it really does provide the foundational understanding for what we're talking about today. And it is, it does talk about how uh, Britain does mainly comprise the ancient tribe of Ephraim, and how the United States uh, contains the is the tribe or makes up the anciently the the modern descendants of the tribe of Manasseh, and that Israel is of course Judah. That's known to many Israelis today that Israel is not all the tribes of Israel. Obviously, only the tribes of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin make up the state, the tribe of or the current nation of Israel today. Of course, as well as a bunch of other imports, and those others were called lost ten tribes. Well, some of them, Ephraim, Manasseh. If you go back to biblical times in Genesis chapter 49 and previously Genesis chapter 48, 
you see that the name of Israel, Jacob or Israel, was placed upon these two sons of Joseph. These sons of Joseph should also be called Israel in our day, in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And that should be very easy to, to prove for anybody to see, especially when you go into prophecies like in the, found in the book of Hosea, especially chapter, Hosea chapter 5 and verse 5. It talks about Israel and Ephraim and Judah all being separate, separate people separate in, this, in this time. It talks about them all falling together. That didn't happen anciently. And so there must be individual nations that make up those tribes today. And they have a familiar relationship together. Now, if you look at certain, um, certain ancient biblical parallels, uh, to especially these tribes of Ephraim and Judah, they were historically jealous of one another. And it was very interesting because in a way it was kind of set up to be that way. I'm not saying it had to be that way, but you had Ephraim who was the leader of the birthright. You can see that in, in, in uh, First Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 2. It talks about who received the birthright promise. That would go to Ephraim. They would, they would receive the, the majority portion. Uh, they would be one of the great leaders. But the scepter, the kingly line the, the, that would come through David, he's obviously of the tribe of Judah. And so you had this amazing, um, like these two heads of the two different uh, big uh, divisions in, in ancient Israel being Judah in the south and Israel in the north, one Ephraim and one led by Judah in the south. And they often didn't get along together. And it's only in certain periods that they do come together. All the tribes of Israel come together. It's because of this, this joining between Ephraim and Judah. And the result of that is amazing success for everyone, be it during under Solomon's time, be it during under Ahab's time and a bit later Jehoshaphat's time, or be it under Jeroboam II's time and Uzziah's time. When you've got this relationship between the head of the Ephraimite tribes, the Ephraimite northern tribes, and the Judean tribes, or Judah, you have success. You have a, 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 a fantastic uh, period of growth. And that's what we're kind of seeing right now. We're seeing that right now with the United States, Britain, and Israel. And, and specifically, let's talk about this relationship with Britain, because I just want to go through uh, the, the British or the government, the cabinet of Boris Johnson to show you how pro-Israel it is. We're going to have an article on this in Watch Jerusalem shortly, written by Warren Reinch. It's entitled tentatively, Britain Experiences a Temporary Pro-Israel Resurgence. And we're just going to go through a couple of these people. Obviously, Boris Johnson, he's been pretty vocal pro-Israel. It's been obviously reported everywhere down here uh, in Israel that he went to the he worked on the kibbutz for a couple of weeks back in the day, that he has some Jewish heritage as well. But I want to talk about some of the other members of his cabinet. First, we're going to talk about Dominic Rubb. He was appointed at Mr. Johnson's, as Mr. Johnson's foreign secretary, and according to some, he's the de facto prime minister of Israel, uh, prime minister of Britain, sorry, because he's so powerful. And his high-ranking position in the government gives him considerable influence over British policy. Now, when Rob was just eight years old, his Jewish grandfather fled Czechoslovakia in, in 1938, just escaping the, the German inv invasion, and um, when he was attending, uh, Rob actually was attending university near Ramallah in the West Bank, 
He became involved in the early Arab-Israeli conflict where he worked for one of the principal Palestinian negotiators of the Oslo Accords. So he does bring some understanding of the situation on the ground here. And he is very, um, not just pro-Israel, he's very anti-Iran. He understands the dangerous situation that Iran poses towards Israel, not just in the Strait of Hormuz, but also with the funding of terrorism, uh, Hezbollah and, and uh, Hamas. Another member of Johnson's cabinet is Priti Patel. She was previously the, the vice president, a vice chair, sorry, of the Conservative Friends of Israel, which is a British group. Um, and she's still a member of, of a pro-Israel group in Britain. She was sacked by the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, back in the end of 2017, for holding about a dozen secret meetings with Israeli government officials, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, while visiting the Golan Heights on holiday. And so this was this was quite amazing when it happened. You probably remember it. She came down here on holiday, and she went up to the Golan Heights, which, you know, th- this, this time... Uh, People still say that Israel is illegally occupying that, although the United States doesn't. So she's up there on the Golan Heights, which according to them is technically Syrian territory, and she's having meetings, meeting up with different Israeli officials, including the Prime Minister of Israel, and didn't even tell uh, her, her the Prime Minister. Now, now she did have to resign for, for doing that, sacked, resigned, whatever you want to call it. Um, nevertheless, it doesn't seem that she was too upset that the fact that she was having these meetings, she was recommending following these meetings, giving money, uh, aid money to field hospitals run by Israel. Uh, of course, this was, I think it was operation good neighbor or something like that. When you had Syrians that were trying to escape ISIS and Israel was coming to their aid. That's what she saw up there on this clandestine trip meeting with Israeli officials and she thought that Britain should really uh, help out, should help out. And at the same time, she was giving speeches. That was the 100-year anniversary of the Belfort Declaration. Of course, the Belfort is where the British government showed that it was policy, their policy that they favored a return of the Jews to this homeland here, a settlement here in uh, making Palestine or part of Palestine's territory as a national home of the Jews. She was. I just listened to a speech of her on that topic. And this was her actually on Good Morning Britain. Uh, this was Piers Morgan who was interviewing her. This is January 22nd, 2018, where she talks about the reason that she was fired uh, from her, the former British uh, government. Again, she is now the Home Secretary of Boris Johnson. Take a listen. You're a straight talker. You were sacked, right? Well, I left government and, you know, I apologise for what happened and, you know, it, my actions caused difficulty for the government as the 24,000 people who were tracking me at the time also, you know, saw that. Let's get, let's, let's get, that, let's get that out of the way because it's not why you're on really, but it's just you haven't talked about this uh, since. Mm. You were having unauthorised meetings with senior Israeli figures, including Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. It looked sneaky. It looked like a cabinet minister was going around the back of her boss and exercising a bit of power play, building up relations with allies and so on. 
Why were you doing? Well, I disagree with that. And I take the view that, you know, as a politician, we all know other politicians around the world. You know, whether you are abroad, on business or even on holiday, I think it's remiss if you don't actually go and meet people that you know. And that's what I did. There was no malice well, shouldn't intended. Shouldn't you tell your boss when you're meeting Well, you leaders? know, in hindsight, of course, Piers, absolutely, in hindsight. And that's why I left the government, because obviously it caused clear difficulties. Hang and on I a moment. And it's I not about, I wouldn't have that. thought it was about hindsight. If you're going to meet the Prime Minister of Israel, Foresight should tell you that you would well, tell your own well, look, leader, I mean, the I, Prime I have, Minister of the UK. I think it's fair to say I have accepted that. I apologise. There was no malice intended whatsoever at the time. And I, you know, left the government. So, why, that so is... why did you meet him? Well, he's somebody that I know. I've met him before, and I well, had the opportunity. I had the opportunity to meet him. And to be fair, as I've said, you know, home. You know, when I've been abroad before, and politicians do know other politicians around the world. And I would have thought, you know, for your viewers in particular, it's a good thing that politicians actually in this country get on with other. I politicians don't disagree with that. Uh, what? I, but if, if I was your boss, mm. and I discovered that you'd been sneaking off meeting other world leaders, very important world leaders like Benjamin Netanyahu, and had thought to mention it to me, I'd be incandescent. Well, look, I, we agree, OK? And that has happened, and that is the past now, and I'm moving on from that, and I've been clear that I've apologised for that. But, you know, there was no malice intended, and I was very clear, clear with the Prime Minister about that too. So that was Priti Patel. Uh, she is the uh, Home Secretary now of Boris Johnson's government in the United Kingdom, and she was fired for basically having very close relations with Israel, even clandestine relations, relation, a relationship that the previous government didn't really smile upon. Of course, she probably should have told the prime minister, but maybe the prime minister wouldn't have allowed her to do it. And this was just showing that she, of herself, does believe in the Jewish state. She does believe in Israel's right to exist. And she does believe in increasing Britain's commitment to the Jewish state. So now she's in government as well. Now let's get to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is basically the, ch the Treasurer of Britain, uh, Sayyid Javid. He's, he's another member of the Conservative Friends for Israel. He made a trip to Israel and the West Bank just last month. He actually was the, one of the first um, British uh, politicians, while they're still a cabinet member, to visit the um, Western Wall. And while he does come from a Muslim family, he wore a traditional Jewish kippah uh, there as well. He strongly believes in uh, coexistence, as he says, between Jewish and Muslim people. He said, quote, we love Jewish heritage very much and appreciate it. And so when he was Home Secretary, this was the previous office he held, he prescribed Hezbollah's political wing as a terrorist organization. And this is something that Britain's done, but the rest of, Israel, uh, rest of Europe refused to do. They haven't done that. They still see a separation. Germany, France still see a separation between Hezbollah's military wing and its political wing, not the United Kingdom. And it's mainly because of this man. He has a strong stance against Hezbollah. And um, he's obviously... He's obviously spoken out against um, the enemies of Israel quite a lot. Here's a quote from him, Sayyid Javid, uh, Javid, on January 12, 2015. And this is before a group of businesses in the UK that is trying to promote Israeli, uh, uh, Israeli-United Kingdom ties. And over the years, I've taken a great interest in its affairs because the values that have made Israel such a success are values that matter a great deal to me. I share Israel's love for freedom and for democracy. I admire its tenacious determination when the odds are stacked against it. 
And like millions of Israelis, I have a mother who's still waiting for me to get a proper job. So a bit of humor there from uh, Sayyid Javid going back to 2015, but he obviously likes Israel and he's done his, he's actually done quite a lot to promote business ties. This whole speech was against BDS, basically the BDS movement trying to boycott Israel. He talked about recent votes amongst the uh, United Kingdom student movements, how they've voted to boycott Israel, but he said it's outrageous, it's ridiculous, it's anti-Semitic, and he's there promoting ties between the United Kingdom and Israel. And now he is the counselor, the, the chancellor of the Exchequer. He's the, the chief financial officer of the United Kingdom, and he loves Israel. Now another member, Michael Gove, He's a current member of the Conservative Defense for Israel as well. He's a member of the of the the cabinet of Boris Johnson. He's a proud Zionist. He calls himself that. He said this to the Jewish Chronicle: "To me, Israel is an inspiration. The Jewish people, after millennia of persecution, built a home while surrounded by enemies and made that home a beacon of liberty." Israel's vibrant democracy, respect for individual freedom, and restlessly innovative culture makes it an example to others. That's what he said to the Jewish Chronicle. Here is a bit of a soundbite from him as well, going back a couple of years ago. The answer to all those questions, again and again, is Israel. The country in the Middle East where human dignity, the rule of law, and free speech are protected as nowhere else. The land that was once a desert and which now blooms, which was built by refugees and now comes to the aid of the suffering worldwide, which has been under siege for decades but is one of the most intellectually innovative on the planet, Israel. This country played a small part in the creation of that point of light. The founders of the State of Israel and the generations of its citizens who endured so much, worked so hard and gave so much did the rest. We can and we should, in this season of thanksgiving, feel gratitude for them all. Thank you. That was Michael Gove, another member of the cabinet of Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, speaking extremely favorable towards Israel. And I was just going back and looking at the times in which many of those speeches were given. Um, these were back at the end of 2017, at the, the centenary of the, of the Balfour Declaration. And here you've got these leaders that at that time weren't necessarily part of the British cabinet. Actually, I think some of them were back then, or one or two of them were. Uh, and they were talking about how pro-Israel they are and how essential it is that we have an Israeli state and how they, they love the fact that Britain historically, at least 100 years ago, was so supportive of the very development of the Jewish state. Now, it's very easy just to look at these people and, and think that, and that it's not historic what's going on, or at least this, this collection at the very top of British politics that is so pro-Israel. But it is historic. It is historic. I do have a quote here that goes back to 2017 during this time that the Balfour Declaration was having its centenary and a lot of papers are writing about this. And many choose to, chose to focus on this fact that for a small window of time, you had pro-Israeli leaders that were involved in, uh, from, in the UK that were involved in the establishment of the Balfour Declaration, showing again that um, the UK, Her Majesty's government, did favor a Jewish homeland for the people in Palestine, not elsewhere, right here in Israel. But after a few years, those leaders left. And then the British government tried very hard to annul what they had already done. This is what uh, Enshel uh, Pfeiffer uh, wrote in the Haaretz back in 2017. 
And an Israeli ambassador once acknowledged to me, quote, of all the great powers, we were probably most hostile and did our utmost over a considerable period of time to prevent the emergence of the state of Israel. So basically it's saying there, this British ambassador said to him that it's amazing that Belfort took place because we've done a lot more than others to even prevent the state of Israel from uh, being developed, from coming about. There was this period of about five years from 1917 when Jerusalem was taken from the Ottomans, just before Jerusalem was taken from the Ottomans, till about 1922 when the League of Nations basically accepted the Belfort Declaration as the international policy that there were pro-Zionist Britons occupying the most important offices in the land. Basically, the cabinet back then, as it is today, and really no time since, uh, that was so pro-Israel, that was Zionist, that believed Israel should be here. And that's the reason that the Belfort Agreement even passed through the cabinet. First, back then, there was Prime Minister David Lloyd George. He was a longtime Christian Zionist. He was known for his regular Bible reading. Of course, you had Winston Churchill as well. He was the Office for the Munitions, and he occupied a position in the War Cabinet at the time as uh, Secretary of State of the Colonies. And as Secretary of State of the Colonies, one of his prim primary responsibilities, Churchill's this is, was laying the foundation for a future Jewish state. And he was met with a lot of... Uh, a lot of negativity about this in the parliament. Then, of course, there was Lord Belfour as well. And so they all came together. Of course, Chaim Wiseman was there, the first president of Israel, working behind the scenes to draft this declaration. And that effort culminated on the November 2nd Declaration 1917 of the Belfour Agreement. Now, these leaders, among others in Britain, came to the very front of British politics and they basically dictated a pro-Zionist policy that we really haven't seen for about 100 years. But looking at the cabinet right now, you would say that this, <laughs> the cabinet, the government in Britain, is about as pro-Zionist as we've seen since then for about 100 years. What is going on? Why is it so? Why is it so? Now... At the beginning, I, I spoke about how you do have this brotherly biblical relationship between tribes of Israel at play here. I mentioned that Ephraim is Britain, the United Kingdom, and its colonies. Many people are obviously aware of this. You type, you know, Ephraim or being the United Kingdom, and you'll likely go to a Wikipedia page and it'll say that this is British British Israelism. This is something that came up in the early 1900s during the reign of Victoria, and then it was poo-pooed and proved false. And then you're done. You're done proving it. You know, you can't be bothered looking into it further than that. Well, I challenge you to look into it further than that. See if it's true. And again, this book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, will prove that to you if you study it with an open mind. With an open mind that hasn't already came to uh, your understanding of it. You do have Ephraim being the United Kingdom, Manasseh being the United States, and little old Judah being here down in Israel. And all of these, this brotherhood is coming together very temporarily. Again, this is something that doesn't happen. This is something, in fact, that in the world to come, this type of 
the the enmity that exists between Ephraim and Judah specifically is something that God is going to have to heal. He prophesies as much. This is Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 13. It says this, and this is this is the chapter that talks about the lamb and the lion laying down together, but it's not just that's not the only miracle that's taking place. If you go down further, it says this, verse 13, The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah will not vex Ephraim. That's the reason you've got a historic animosity between the United Kingdom and the state of Israel. It goes all the way back to biblical times. It goes all the way back 3,000 years to Ephraim and Judah not really getting along that well. And God is going to have to heal it in the future. And so when we see a government from the United Kingdom that comes on strong, being such a pro-Zionist entity, something miraculous is taking place. Be it the Balfour Declaration that's going to set up the establishment of the Jewish state, or be it right now, where we're seeing a resurgence of the United States. And in part because of that, of the United Kingdom, and of little old Judah, the state of Israel. This is a resurgence that our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has been writing a lot about over the past year or so, talking about how the leadership in the United States is leading a resurgence of the biblical nations of Israel. The United Kingdom is jumping on board right now. They're leaving Europe. They're going to leave Europe. And they're in this research, this this type of relationship now with the United States, it seems, going forward. And then we obviously see the relationship between Israel and the United States, and now Britain, coming to the fore. Now, it's interesting, if you go back even to Belfort's time and the declaration that took place, you had all the pro-Israeli cabinet members inside the United Kingdom, including Winston Churchill and so, and and Lloyd George. But you also had the United States that favored it as well. And really, that was the that tipped the scales. They checked up with the United States before they went through with this declaration. And the United States president, Woodrow Wilson at the time, he formally declared America's support for the substance of that declaration about two weeks before it was declared. He cabled the British government and he said the United States is for it. And so you had these brothers come together, the United Kingdom, the United States, right at the beginning of or this main declaration that led to the establishment of the Jewish state. You could say that 1948 was more important, but most people, most historians would look back at Belfort and say, without that, we would have never got to 1948. The greatest powers, really one of the, the last gifts of the British Empire, the great British Empire, was to see to it that the Jewish state needed to exist, that the Jews should live in the land of Palestine. And this was something that God wanted. This is something that was prophesied in your Bible to take place. And you had the British government that favored it. You had the United States that favored it. It's almost like God back then in 1917 was able to get uh, out of the way the anti-Zionists that were everywhere at the time, and bring together leadership at the top that would 
promote the existence of the Jewish state. It was special. It was something he was orchestrating. And just as right now, with this resurgence of the United States, of Britain in a way, and even of Israel, God is also doing something with this. He is behind the scenes, working this out. But as Mr. Gerald Flurry's written, this is, and even it's in the Bible, this is temporary. This isn't going to go on forever. It is really, it's an act of mercy by God to once again give time for people to come to know him, especially in these tribes of Israel and Judah, these that have received the birthright promises made to Abraham and the scepter promise made to made to David, being this scepter nation and the birthright nations. They have a special history, a special relationship with God, and God wants the people in these nations to realize it on the individual level that he has been involved in their national history and he can be still involved in their personal lives if they if they choose if they choose to allow him now if you want more understanding on the relationship that exists right now between Israel between Britain between the United Kingdom and connect the dots in your bible and in history and prophecy you really need to request this book by Herbert W. Armstrong, entitled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. It's quite a large book. It's gone to over 6 million people around the world. You can get your hard copy for free. All you need to do to get that is go to watchjerusalem.co.il, and then you can go to literature, the Literature tab and, and click on United States and Britain in Prophecy. You can read a PDF online, or we'll send you a copy wherever you are in the world. You really need to get your hands on this book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Thank you very much for staying with me to the end of today's program. If you'd like to send some feedback, you can go ahead and write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il or if you'd like to order the book that way, you can write an email to that same address and just put your home address in there and I'll make sure you get a copy. Thanks again for listening.